We're excited to launch that on Thursday and really do want to give you a special invitation. If Sundays is not a good time for you, we'll be meeting in what we call the shop. It's just to my right, your left, down here between us and the gate station. So 7.30, same service. Uh, I'll be giving the, the message on Thursday night and then again on Sunday. So it's the Thursday is the first of our four services, not the fourth of the four, if you're trying to figure that out. So we'll be love to have you. So let me begin by saying he is risen. Yeah, do you know why we do that? Why, why do we say that back and forth to one another? It's simply a tradition of recognizing and encouraging one another that we are celebrating a risen Savior. In fact, this morning, we are celebrating Jesus who is and stands alone in human history as the only one who lived, died, was raised from the dead, never to die again. Everybody dies. A few have been raised from the dead. Jesus is not the only one who's ever been raised from the dead. Jesus is the only one who was raised from the dead, never to die again. And yet, as we celebrate it this morning, there will be people all around the globe who will be celebrating a day hunting for candy looking for Easter eggs and have no idea that there is a person named Jesus for which we are celebrating. And so this morning, rather than going to the end of one of the Gospels, which is what we would usually do on Easter Sunday, we're going to actually go to the beginning of one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Mark, and there we're going to be introducing Jesus who we are celebrating his resurrection this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. What we're going to find is that in the the rest of 2017, we're going to be working our way through this Gospel verse by verse. And I wanted to start it on Easter so that we would get to know this Jesus that we celebrate. Mark is a very straightforward writer. His is the shortest gospel. His has the least words, but the most action. Very few to none of the speeches really of Jesus are recorded in the gospel of Mark. He's just action, action, action. And so he starts introducing us to Jesus by saying this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. So straight out of the gate, he tells us who we're talking about. Jesus is the Son of God. No wasted words. If Mark would have lived in our present day, he would have tweeted it. He would have sent it out like this. Jesus is the Son of God. Hashtag amazing. Hashtag who knew. Hashtag hate to be his brother. You ever thought about that? Being the brother of Jesus, every conversation begins between Mary and Joseph like this. Well, we know it wasn't Jesus who did that. (laughs) But the key, and everything that we deal with in in the coming year will be rooted in this core conviction, what Mark doesn't waste any time about. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is actually the way John begins his gospel. It's just John wouldn't have tweeted. 
John, very wordy. John would have taken poetry in school. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Very poetic, but what the world are you talking about? You don't, you don't know until 14 verses later when he finally says, and the Word became flesh. Oh, talking about a person here. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So essential, really, for every gospel writer, essential for us this morning, as we celebrate the resurrection, we are not simply celebrating someone raised from the dead, because again, others have been raised from the dead. We are celebrating Jesus, who is the Son of God. God. And it's a really important question that you ask yourself this morning. Do I believe that? Do I believe Jesus was actually the Son of God? More than just a good teacher, more than the leader of a transforming cause that has impacted the entire world for thousands of years now, do I believe that Jesus of Nazareth, born of Mary and Joseph, was really the Son of God? If you're uncertain, I get it. It's a major claim. It's the core claim to what we're celebrating, that Jesus is the Son of God. So if you're not sure, two invitations. First, come on Thursday or Sunday in the coming year and get to see the one who is declared to be the Son of God in action. Or if you're going, well, I don't want to wait all year because you must teach really slow if we're going to be in the shortest gospel for the rest of the year. We're going to go through verse by verse. If you don't want to wait that long, then go to the later gospel, the gospel we just referenced, the gospel of John, and read it for yourself. Because I get people who say, hey, I don't know that I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I don't get, I don't believe it, but no, I don't want to read his claims. So, Would you read his claims? And the reason I say read the gospel of John on your own is for this reason. He gets to the end of his gospel and he explains this. But these have been written. Everything that he wrote. And he said, the world couldn't hold the books if we wrote everything that Jesus did and said. But these that have been written have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So read it and decide from what is given in the account of the Gospel of John about Jesus. Is he the Son of God? Because if you read and you come to that conclusion believing that he is the Son of God and that believing you may have what in his name? Life. Have you caught that that's the theme this morning? Death was arrested and and what? My life began, if you don't remember. Death was arrested, my life began. Jesus paid it all. He is risen. The resurrected king is, what's he doing? He's resurrecting me. Listen, the call this morning is to believe in Jesus who is the Son of God, and that believing you would have life, life as God intended you to have life, that you would have life in his name. There is no life 
apart from believing that Jesus is the Son of God. That's why what Mark says straight out of the gate, this is the gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Not sure? Read and discover, and in discovering, discover life. Well, he continues on. Verse 2, as is written in Isaiah the prophet. So he goes back to reference the Old Testament where Isaiah the prophet wrote, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, you being Jesus, the Son of God. I send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. So that's a reference from the Old Testament about a forerunner, a messenger who's going to pave the way, if you will, for Jesus. And Mark identifies who that messenger is immediately. Next verse. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Now, this is essential that as we look at verse 4 that we're clear here. He was not preaching a baptism for the forgiveness of sin. He was preaching a message of baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So what's the world that mean? Well, Baptism, simply by definition, means to, literally means to dip. And so John the Baptist is out preaching a message. And those who believe the message signify, they publicly identify with the message by being baptized, being immersed in the muddy Jordan River there. Their baptism wasn't forgiving their sins. Their baptism was identifying them with a message in the same way that many of you would wear a shirt identifying with a team or a hat that would identify you with a team or a school that you went to. Baptism was a public identification that we believe what that guy, John the Baptist, is saying. What's he saying? He is saying Repentance is necessary for forgiveness of sin. John was primarily speaking to Jewish people. That's why he is in the area of Judea there outside Jerusalem. He's primarily speaking to Jewish people. And by their baptism, by John, they were admitting... Something because repentance means a change of mind, and here was the change of mind that they were connecting to and then identifying through baptism. John Piper says it this way that being Jewish, here's what they were signifying that being Jewish was no guarantee of being saved. This was radical. Typically, a Jewish person would think that because I am Jewish, I am a part of God's chosen people, I am already saved. But by being baptized by John, they were identifying with a message that said, no, being Jewish doesn't save me. What saves me? Repentance and confessing of my sin. 
Piper says, in other words, baptism was a sign that they were renouncing their old dependency on ethnic Jewishness and were relying wholly on the mercy of God to forgive those who would confess their sins and repent. You see? They were, there was this repentance, this change of mind that my ethnicity of being Jewish is no longer sufficient to save me. It requires a change of mind from depending on that to depending on a God of mercy. Now, for us, and the vast majority of us, not all of us, but the vast majority of us are Gentiles. And so we're like, we don't really get that. So let me give what I think is our best equivalent. Many Gentiles, if asked, do you think you'll be saved, will say something like, well, I think so. I've grown up going to church, or I was baptized as an infant, or I've been a good person, not perfect, but I've been a pretty good person. In other words, they're depending, they're depending on the fact of either religious practice or sufficient moral behavior for their salvation. And what we need to hear in the same way that the Jewish people needed to hear the from John the Baptist, that we need to repent. We need to have a change of mind that says, I can't depend on religious practice or moral behavior. I can only depend upon a God of mercy who I would confess my sin to. That's what John is preaching. And in his preaching, when people believed it, they were baptized because baptism forgave their sin no 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 the baptism again is a public identification with a message and so the text goes on to say and all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem so he is getting this huge following there is real momentum with this message of repentance for the forgiveness of sin and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. So acknowledging my ethnicity of Jewishness is not sufficient to be saved. John was clothed, it describes, with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locust and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying... After me, one is coming who is mightier than I. Don't miss that. What's he saying? There is one who is coming who is mightier than I. And I'm not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. That's vital because John the Baptist is becoming great in the eyes of the people. Very influential. And he wants people to know Jesus is not only the Son of God, Jesus is also greater than any who talk about him. Jesus is greater than me, John the Baptist says. And I, and I want you to, I'm glad you're with us this morning, but let's be very clear. Christian Family Chapel is not great. We simply talk about someone who is far greater than us. No pastor in this city is great, 
is greater than Jesus. We simply talk about the one greater than us. The Apostle Paul, Peter, the Pope, all would have to say, rightly, we are, we're unworthy to even stoop down and mess with Jesus' sandals. That's how great he is. In fact, Paul wanted people to know how great Jesus was because he writes in Colossians 1, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before. Who is? Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place where? For where? In everything. Did you capture the greatness of Jesus in that? It all began with him, by him, for him. He is over all, holds it all together. Above all, Jesus is greater than anyone who talks about him. Listen, that greatness has an intended result in each one of our lives. What is it? That's the intended result of the greatness of Jesus in your life. That he would come to have first place in everything. Would that be true for you? That he would be first place in your life? We're, we're prone to make Jesus a part of our life, to make Jesus a part of our family. But that's not his intended place. When Mark introduces us to Jesus, he says, I want you to understand. First, he is the Son of God. Second, he is greater, greater than anyone who would ever talk about him. Paul says greater than anything. He is intended to have first place in your life, not simply to be a part of your life, to be your greatest passion, your greatest joy, your greatest desire, your greatest priority. It's a good time. This, this day, Easter, resurrection, Christ died, buried, raised so that you could have life. What type of life? A life where he has first place in everything. For some of you, it may be true that there was a time in your life where Jesus was first, but he's coming in maybe third or fourth right now. You've allowed other things to become greater in your life. I want us to, to celebrate a risen Savior who is over all, is above all, who is intended to be first in our life. And then John the Baptist, declaring that Jesus is far greater than him, so great that he's not worthy to even bow down and mess with his sandals, 
John the Baptist finishes with this. I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so he introduces a whole concept that would have been completely foreign to everybody who heard those words. And I want to make sure it's not foreign to us this morning. He says, you've been coming out here, you've been hearing me preach, not baptism for forgiveness, but repentance for forgiveness. But I'm telling you, there's a guy coming who's far greater than I. I'm not even worthy to bow down and mess with his sandals. And here's why. Because he's going to do something that I can't do. He's going to do something that no one else can do. He is going to baptize you with the Spirit. I can only do water. So what the world does that mean, that I will baptize you with the Spirit? What's the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit? When Paul writes the Galatians, he describes it this way. Well, first, that's the, the third, greatness of Jesus. That he is the Son of God, greater than anyone who can talk about him, and that he will baptize with the Spirit. So Paul explains the baptism of the Spirit in Galatians 4 this way. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might, what's the word here? Redeem those who were under the law that he might receive, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So let me explain that verse. Your Bible divided into New Testament Old Testament. Old Testament, the law of God for the people of God. The, the law can be summarized in the Ten Commandments. No other gods before me. No graven image. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. Now, if you can't remember those ten then you can boil it down to this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That one you get. You know what? When, it, when we boil down to that, we were born under the law to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. Question, if you were born under that law, are you a lawbreaker? <laughs> Have you loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself? No. Sometimes, maybe not. We're lawbreakers. It's the right. We haven't done that. It, it is the red light that all of us have run. You notice that there's a video at the Walmart red light on San Jose. Do you all know that? If you don't know that, you should. I know that now because other times I'm tempted to run a light. I'm never tempted to run the light at Walmart. I know because my daughter, who will be glad for me to tell you all of this, late to work, sees the light turn red, says, I can't be late for work. And she says, I think I made it. Well, actually, I realized I didn't. You know what the proof was? The video that they sent to us. Yellow light, red light, my car. Clear as day. She wasn't even in the video when the light turned red. Busted. 
And when it comes to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself, guess what? There's plenty of video that we've run the red light. If you're not sure, ask someone who knows you. They'll be glad to tell you. You, You've run that red light countless times. So we were born under the law, and we have failed to keep it. But what's the scripture say? When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. He too was born under the law, except what? He never ran the red light. And therefore, two words here. He redeemed us. That is, he bought us back. And what else did he do according to this text? Adopted us. Sometimes information gets so familiar, we lose the impact. And so I tried to think, how do I capture for my own heart what God has done for us? So this is a poor, weak attempt, I admit. But imagine four of my children don't exist. There's just two, Clayt and Will. Clayt, our oldest, Will, our second. And Will is brutally murdered, we're imagining right now. Brutally murdered. And the murderer is caught, convicted, and sent to Florida State Prison to die by lethal injection for his brutal murder. And on the day of his execution, I grab my other son, only, Clayt, and we take him not to watch the execution, but for me to say, Clay, I want you to go in there and for the brutal murderer to come free. Now that's poor and weak, but it captures the absurdity of the cross that God would take his only son and give him as the sacrifice that would redeem, that would pay the penalty that we, the brutal murderers, deserve. And then, watch this. And then, having taken my son to die in the brutal murderer's place, I take the brutal murderer, put him in the front seat of my car, I drive back to Jacksonville, we go to the courthouse, and I adopt him and give him my name. That's even more absurd. But that's the gospel. The gospel is that we have run the red light. We are brutal murderers before a holy God. And he has sent his son not only to pay the penalty, but having paid the penalty, he has adopted us. He's given us his name. And watch this. Next verse in Galatians 4. Because your sons, because we went to the courthouse and adopted, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts. And the brutal murderer now calls me dad. That's that's the cross and the resurrection that we are celebrating that God so loved the world that he gave his son. Whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish, but would have everlasting life. 
and that everlasting life would begin the moment we place faith in Jesus. Because at the moment we place faith in Jesus, we're redeemed. We are bought with a price. We are purchased. We become children of God. And when we become children of God, what does he immediately do? He pours his spirit into our hearts. Do some of the children of God or all of the children of God have the spirit of God living within them? Which one? All. You see, don't ever think when John the Baptist said, hey, this guy who I can't even mess with his sandals, that's how great he is, this guy is going to baptize with the Spirit. He's not going to mess with water. That's not the point. He is going to pour himself into your life, every single one of you who will repent, change your mind about your religious practices and your moral behavior. He will buy you and pour himself into you, every single one of you. The baptism of the Spirit is for every person who is trusted in Jesus. That's it. It's the pouring of himself. Into who? (laughs) Into all. And this is really long, I understand. The blank's probably not long enough for you. But I want us to get fully who are redeemed, bought back, how? Through faith in Jesus because of his substitutionary death. So he not only redeems us through his death, but by his life, he now indwells us because in redeeming us, he adopted us, and when he adopted us, he baptized us with the Spirit. He poured himself into us. Now you may go, What's all this have to do with Easter? Why are we talking about this? For this reason. The reason we're talking about the baptism of the Spirit on Easter Sunday is because when Mark introduces us to Jesus, he introduces us as to one who will baptize with the Spirit, but it's not going to occur until after his resurrection. So Mark introduces us This is what's defining about Jesus. I baptize with water. He's going to baptize with the Spirit. But Jesus doesn't do it for three years until the night he's arrested. He's with his disciples, and he says to them, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. See, this promise of how Jesus was introduced by Mark is something that he's going to do, but he doesn't do until after he has died, been buried, raised, and ascended. Now, who is the helper? Well, he says in that same conversation, but the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So what are we celebrating today on Easter Sunday? We are celebrating that the one who died in our place has been raised from the dead and ascended, but don't stop there, and poured himself 
into our hearts. Yes, he's redeemed us. Yes, he's adopted us. And yes, he has baptized us with his spirit. He's made us one with him. He's poured his spirit into our hearts. That's why we say the resurrected king is resurrecting me. He is making me new, causing me to walk in newness of life. That is the power of the baptism of the Spirit. And what Jesus identifies, and this is crucial here, he says when, he, when the Holy Spirit comes, what's he going to do? He's going to teach you all things. I want you to understand that the indwelling Spirit is the key to you and I being able to understand the Scripture. Here's why. This is not like any other book, like Jesus, just like Jesus was not any other man. Jesus was the Son of God, and this book is supernatural. And actually, the Bible says about this that the natural mind cannot comprehend, cannot understand the supernatural book. And so if you've ever wondered, why can't I understand the Bible when I read it? Just none of it makes sense to me. It's often for this reason. Because the Spirit of God doesn't dwell within you. Because when the Spirit of God dwells within you, He helps you. He is your teacher. Things that once were foolishness and did not make sense, now God speaks to you through the Scriptures. Now, am I saying perfectly that I understand everything perfectly? No. There are still times that I have to really study and seek to allow the Holy Spirit to teach me. But listen, He teaches me. And it is an important question for every one of you to ask yourself. Is there evidence of the Spirit of God within me? Evidence that I have been baptized by the Spirit that I can understand the Scriptures. Because when the Spirit of God pours himself, is poured into my heart, that which used to not make sense now is understandable to me. And because he dwells within me, I have a hunger for his word. And where there is a lack of hunger for the word of God and where there is a lack of understanding of the word of God, no matter how hard you try, where there is a lack of that, that is often a red flag the Spirit of God does not dwell within you. And the Spirit of God doesn't dwell within you because you haven't believed. Because all who believe the Spirit of God does dwell within. I can't emphasize enough that the place of the Scripture is a place of hunger and understanding for those who have received the Holy Spirit. So, John the Baptist comes. Let me make sure we see this in correct order. John the Baptist comes and he preaches repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And then he baptizes in water. And then he speaks about Jesus who's going to baptize with the Spirit. So how does all of that fit together? Let me show it to you hopefully in very clear order. 
the relationship of believing and these baptisms. First, relationship with God begins with believing in Jesus. Those who believe that he is the son of God, that he has paid the penalty for their sin and receive that, they are adopted by God. Those who believe are adopted. And those who are adopted, what did Galatians 4, 6 say? Those who are adopted, he pours the Spirit into their hearts. They are baptized by the Spirit. The Spirit of God dwelling within the believer is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So all who believe are adopted, and all who are adopted are what? Baptized how? By the Spirit. Why? Because that is the promise of God. It's not something we have to seek. It's not something we have to go after. It is the promise of God to all who believe in Jesus and are adopted. You with me? You believe, you're adopted. Because you're adopted, you're baptized. It's the promise of God. For those who have been baptized by the Spirit, then here's where baptism by water fits in. In obedience to God, those who have been adopted and have the Spirit of God within them, then they make a decision to be baptized in water. Now, I lay this out for you because understanding this accurately according to Scripture is vital in identifying three critical truths about our salvation. First, baptism can't save me. It can't save me. <laughs> Salvation is here. This is, this is one of the things sometimes that we have to repent of, that we think we're saved because we've been baptized. Baptism does not save me. I was with a dad one time, and he was baptizing his son and I nearly had a heart attack because the guy says, son, you are filled with guilt and sin, but I'm going to place you under the water and bring you up cleansed. And I was like, no, ho, hold, ho, ho, hold. That is not what we're doing here. The water is symbolic of how water cleanses. But water, from wherever you get it, has no power to forgive sin, has no power to cleanse. That is reserved only for Jesus. Jesus saves. And so we repent of believing that our baptism saves us, and repentance is a change of mind, and we trust in Jesus to save us, not our baptism. Second of understanding this relationship accurately is this, that baptism is not necessary for salvation. Why not? As the scripture says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one could boast. So baptism is not a work necessary for salvation. The only thing that will save us is Jesus and believing in him. That is the work. The work is believing in what Christ has done on our behalf. 
Baptism is not necessary for salvation, but watch. Third, baptism is intended for all who are saved. Jesus said, I want you to go and make disciples. A disciple who believes and therefore when they believe they're adopted and because they're adopted they're baptized by the Spirit according to the promise of God. And then in obedience they are to be baptized by water. Now, be clear. Is baptism necessary for salvation? No, absolutely not. It is intended though for all who are saved. The New Testament doesn't know anything about people who claim faith in Christ and don't follow through with baptism. Not because it saves them, but because it's intended to reflect what Christ has done for them. So when we, ha- when we engage in baptism, we're not saving a person. We are demonstrating visually how they are saved. We have a horse trough here to your right, filled with warm water. It's not special holy water. It's Jacksonville water. (laughs) I think special about it is we warmed it up. But in a moment, two individuals are going to come up and they're going to share, watch, when they believed in Jesus. And when they believed in Jesus, what happened? They were adopted. And therefore, what did God do? Baptize them with the Spirit. It was his promise. Now, in obedience, they're going to be baptized in water. They're going to share their story. And then we're going to place them under water to identify that they have been symbolically united with Christ in death and burial and united with him in resurrection. That is why we immerse and bring. It doesn't make them new. It demonstrates symbolically how Christ has made them new. Now, before they share their story, I want to invite you to take out a card that's in your seat back. And this is, I noticed last hour, people were like, okay, I don't want to do that. I promise you, we're not going to do anything mean, nasty, or tricky with this card. If you touch it, you won't get a disease, you won't get a phone call, okay? (laughs) This card is simply helpful as we think of the text for you to think about your baptism story, as in the baptism of the Spirit and baptism by water. So, I invite you, would you, with looking at this card, the baptisms of the Spirit... Which box would you check? Again, you don't need to be afraid to fill this out. You can put your name on it. You don't have to put your name on it. You can put contact information. If you want us to contact you, we will. If you don't put it, guess what? We won't, okay? You don't have to be afraid of the card. We really would like you to take it out and which box is true for you. I'm not sure if I've been baptized by the Spirit. That would be true for some of you. I was baptized by the Spirit when I was, for me, I would write 12 years old. I'm sure I've been baptized by the Spirit, but I'm not sure when. That's true for some. And some, it's true, I'm in the process of deciding what I believe about Jesus. All right? Which one of those boxes is true for you? 
If you would, just check one of those. Then the next, baptism in water, because there's two separate baptisms. Some of you were baptized as an infant. You'd check that. Some of you would say, I was baptized when I was, and you would put for again, that was for me, 12 years old. Some of you would say, I've never been baptized in water. And some of you may go, yeah, I'd like to be. If you'd like to be, then it would help us if you gave us your name. Because otherwise, you'll just like, we won't be able to help you. (laughs) This is simply, you know, we look at the, the scriptures to help us see how it applies to our lives. This is simply will help you see where you are in your own baptism story, baptism by the Spirit, baptism in water. If you have some questions, we'd be glad to follow up. If not, we won't, we promise. Just drop the cards on your way out in both auditoriums in the back. Just drop them off. This will give us a sense of where we are as a body in terms of our baptism stories. So let me ask Bridget if you'd come on up and share your story right here. And then we'll have the privilege of sharing in her water baptism. Go ahead. Morning. Uh, My name is Bridget. I grew up in a Christian family, and we attended a small Episcopal church every Sunday. I went through the motions of singing songs and reading pre-written prayers out of a book. Honestly, church was boring to me, and I used to leave during the service to use the bathroom and always sat at the window of the nursery and watched the kids play. When I got older, I remembered thinking to myself, there must be more to God than this. When I was 12 years old, I remember asking my mom, what does a missionary do? I need to find out because I'm going to be one. Years passed where I desired more of God, but didn't know how to have more of him. My dad was an alcoholic, so I experienced lots of my parents' arguments and was deeply saddened and angry and didn't know how to work through a lot of those feelings. In my senior year of high school, I asked my friend, if I could attend the non-denominational church with his family. I quickly discovered that there really was more to God. He showed me that he knew me personally, and I started to notice how he pursued me every day, whether I pursued him or not. I surrendered my life to the Lord just a few weeks after attending the church at at the age of 20, and my life has forever changed. I then knew where to go to receive my comfort and my peace when still continuing to go through the pain of having an alcoholic father. I began journaling, praying, and seeking counsel from an older, wiser Christian woman at my church. One night, I felt that the Lord was asking me to forgive my father, so I spent four hours in my dark room on the floor with one candle, my Bible, and my journal. I wrote, prayed, cried, um, and forgave him. I experienced an incredible amount of freedom that night as I let go of everything and gave it all to God. I never looked back and began loving my dad in a whole different way. A few months later, he was forced to attend rehab, and I was able to write him letters every two days to encourage him and, and pray for him through that time. God healed him of his alcohol abuse, and he's now five years sober, actually six, and our family is much closer. After completing college, I went to Cartagena, Colombia as a missionary. I had the opportunity to share the gospel uh, with people of all ages and helped start a sponsorship program for 55 children. I quickly fell in love with the people and their culture 
and was in awe of watching God move in the lives of the people around me, as well as mine. I had an amazing translator, and the first day I met him, I thought to myself, I want to marry a man like him. He became my best friend and a safe place for me. His name is Pablo, and two years later, he immigrated to the U.S., and we got married. God continues to blow my mind, makes me completely in awe of him, and shows me how personal he is and how much he knows and deeply loves his people. I'm excited to get baptized and proclaim my love for God with my family and follow God where he leads. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. Psalm 107, verse 2. Awesome. The scripture says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. It's a great reminder, as Bridget shared her testimony, that the demonstration of the Spirit poured into her heart was a love that forgave as she had been forgiven. We had an opportunity to meet for the first time as you started this process of being baptized. And I just want to declare to everybody that the incredible thing about that is that we are family in Christ. We're one in the Spirit. Even though we just met, we're held together by His Spirit. And so it really is, as your brother in Christ, my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Him in death, and risen to walk in the newness of life. Bridget talked about this guy named Pablo. You're about to meet him. <laughs> Yikes, that's a lot of people. Uh, <laughs> There's more in another building, just so. <laughs> so, my name is Pablo, and as she said, I'm from Colombia. For those of you wondering, no, this is not how we go to church, this is not why we wear. <laughs> Um, so, I'm not from around here, I grew up in a country famous for drug cartels and car bombs. Um, I didn't expect to leave past 30 years old. I certainly did not expect to ever leave the country or get married. Before following Christ, I lived an empty life in which my only purpose was to protect my family. My father passed away in a traffic accident before I was born. I never knew him. The man my mother chose to fill his shoes had a troubled mind. He physically abused my mother when alcohol exposed what was inside of him. I grew up resenting him and even wishing him in death for his actions. I went as far as to kick him in out of the home. And people at the time around me advised me to just grab a knife and end it. And that I did. I grabbed a knife a couple of times, but I could never go through with it. Instead, I tried to end my life several times. After all, I had no purpose anymore. What good was I if I couldn't do the one thing I was born to do? You see, in my mind, I was here in this world only to protect and serve my mother. And she kicked me out for my actions against my stepdad. I was lost, alone, and with a broken heart and spirit. But God's hand was present. Even then, when I had no interest in getting to know a God who would allow such injustice, 
I didn't hurt myself, but I, my heart was filled with rage. I went as far as I could from God, or at least I tried. I made fun of believers and engaged in arguments to expose their ignorance. But no matter what I tried, I still felt empty. I found myself out of options, friends, and family. I was still hanging on to life that wasn't worth living. And yet, I didn't want to die. As my last resort, I turned to the God my mom raised me to believe in. I humbled myself. No deals, no complaining. Just one big cry for help. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I was forgiven much and I had much to forgive. God restored my relationship with my family. He is still teaching me how to love them with all my heart, mind, and soul. I said I love you to people I never had. I called my stepdad just dad. My purpose changed all of a the sudden. There was so much more to life. Oh, and uh, there's this small detail I left out. God introduced me to a lady that was so full of joy and giggles that I almost called the police on her. <laughs> she was surely on something. She was full of Jesus. We got married last year. Three months after I arrived to the country, I thought I could only experience in movies. Two years after God pushed me to my knees, and now, three years after God started working in my heart, I'm ready to publicly declare that it's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. I want to be baptized. I want to follow the step of Jesus. I want to thank you all for being here today. And I added this, sorry, Matt. Um, if you're here, uh, if you're new here, uh, please consider joining our family. I was an outsider by every definition of the word. And I can tell you honestly that even being a few countries away, I still feel at home here. Want to get those socks wet? <clears throat> We're going to stop at the socks. <laughs> Pablo, I want to declare that you have indeed found a family. And we are so grateful to be a part of your family through the Spirit of God living in you. And it is my privilege as your brother in Christ to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in death and risen to walk in the newness of life. Let's stand together and let's celebrate.
you have a great rest of the day. Don't, don't forget to put those cards back in the baskets, and I hope you will go in the new life that we've been given. Have a good one.